back to Pick and Pod, another episode of this season brought to you by WFUV Sports. I'm Kelly Breton. Oops, they did it again. They put the dynamic duo back on the airwaves. Ladies and gentlemen, Gigi Spear. Gigi, always a pleasure to work with you. So happy to be back, and I'm even happier that I'm back with you again, Kelly. They did do it again. Let's get it going. Uh, Gigi, it's it's almost not fair to put us together at this point. It's just the quality is too high. <laughs> it's too high. They'll see. They'll see. And it'll keep happening. We might start our own show. <laughs> you heard that here first. Now, uh, we're heading into the NBA All-Star break soon, which is going to be followed closely by the March 25th trade deadline. So obviously a lot going on across the league. But Gigi, I want to start with the biggest news of the week in basketball. And that's that we've had our first head coach firing and then not Less than 48 hours later, we had our first head coach rehire of this season. So we're going to break that down a little bit. The Minnesota Timberwolves fired head coach Ryan Saunders, who was in his second season with the team. The Timberwolves were in last place in the NBA with a 7-24 and record. They have dealt with a lot of problems, a lot of injuries, COVID-19 protocols. But at the end of the day, it hasn't been, that, it hasn't been a very successful run for Ryan Saunders um, in his time there. He took over for now Knicks head coach Tom Thibodeau midway through the 2018-2019 season and just wasn't able to turn things around. Uh, Gigi, the new head coach, Chris Finch, who was a Toronto Raptors assistant, shares a name with somebody close to you, which I think is kind of random if you want to talk about that. Oh, it's crazy. I even texted in my family group chat. My brother's name is Chris Finch. We have different dads. So I text him. I'm like, congrats on your hiring in Minnesota. I'm so proud of you. But yeah, you're right. It's tumultuous times for Minnesota. They've definitely been through the ringer. We'll see. Hopefully my brother or not my brother, Chris Finch could turn it around for them. Kelly, what do you think? What do you think about this hiring? So for me, I go back and forth. I think Ryan Saunders, obviously, he wasn't turning things around. It wasn't going well. I mean, to be fair, you look at who this team is built around, D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. I saw, I've seen it all over Twitter. I've seen it all over social media. Those two have only played in five games under Saunders. So he really hasn't had an opportunity to coach, you know, his team at a full potential. Robert Covington, who was the team's second best player last year, he never even played one game under him. So he has had to deal with a lot of adversity. Carl Anthony Towns, the team's best player, he dislocated his left wrist in the second game of the season, missed six games, comes back, and then misses 13 more after being diagnosed with COVID-19. So there's been a lot of adversity there. So I'm not I, I, I'm not too surprised that he's he's no longer has that position. I think the most surprising fact of this exchange, and it's it's been talked about all over sports radio and and just sports media in the past few days is the fact that Chris Finch was hired without much, without much of any of a process. There wasn't really an interview process. There wasn't, Oh, Hey, we're going to go out and look at other coaches. So that was kind of interesting. You could argue there's a little bit of nepotism going on there. So Gigi, what do you think about that quick turnover process, that quick hiring process that happened there in Minnesota? Right. I agree with you. I think it might be a little bit nepotism. I know. um, And as you know, too, the president definitely had a relationship with Chris Finch years past. And I think that that just elevated him to get his first head coaching position where he is now. And I know there's a lot of talk about um, not hiring David Vanderpool. And I think that's definitely something to consider since not only is he the um, assistant coach for the Timberwolves right now, but a lot of players in the NBA and Carl Anthony Towns himself have advocated for hiring more coaches of color too. 
And I think that's just something else to consider. And obviously his resume speaks for himself too. I think um, there's probably a lot of considerations that went into it. And I think the firing in general is reminiscent of something we saw a couple of weeks ago at Fordham, Newbauer, men's basketball head coach getting fired. The team doesn't do too great. And then the coach gets fired midseason. You might be confused, but it definitely is the best option. And so I think what we could see from now going forward is I think Chris Finch's big responsibility, like you said, D'Lo and Kat had only played five games together. This is a big responsibility to get those two superstars to meld and to work together and to work on their strengths. And who knows, Chris Finch's philosophy might have been um, very different than Saunders. And I think um, it's well known he likes to play more fast paced basketball. But I know he said that he wants to work to his players strengths. And, you know, like with Kat, he's going to be relying on him a lot. So I think that since Finch has other experience with big man, including AD too, that's going to play a big role here. Also something to consider too, is the vulnerability surrounding this team. You know, I think it's embarrassing to have your coach fired this early on in the season. And also I know the players themselves are going through it. Like you said, um, Towns was out for COVID and he was very vulnerable about that and how much it took a toll on him physically and mentally. And so I think Finch is stepping into a big role here. Definitely a quick turnaround, but a necessary turnaround. And now they have to go and get their wins back going. Cause like you said, there's an awful record that they have going on. Yeah, it's, it's not a great record, but Gigi, I want to take you back to something you mentioned in the beginning of that comment. And, and that's the fact that there was that Chris Finch is not black and they didn't, and you have David Vanderpool sitting there right on your bench. You know, like you said, he's been with the team. He's shown success. Damian Lillard came out on social media and made some very strong comments about, about the decision to not consider him as a head coach. Now, one could argue, all right, they've seen him in a coaching position. They've gotten to evaluate him um, day in and day out and how he works with their program. So maybe they don't need to interview him. But you look across this league, a, a league that's still struggling with diversity. They have made some improvements, and you could argue they're one of the more diverse diverse conscious leagues that we have right now but it's a team that's made up of 75 to 80 percent of 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 black african-american males and that that isn't reflected in neither the front office nor the coaching um demographics especially front office and um you just look at you look there's no rooney rule there's no bud selig rule in this league there isn't any incentive to go out and hire coaches of color and you look at some of the guys who could have uh, at least interviewed for this position, Sam Castle. He's a Sixers guy. He's been helping Ben Simmons in Philly. Phil Handy with the Lakers, your Lakers, Gigi. Mike Brown, Nick McMillan with the Hawks, Mike Woodson. He's the last successful coach of the Knicks. Tony Brown, Melvin Gordon. There's just all these names, these guys who weren't even given a chance. And you just have the switch up that happens within 48 hours. And it seems very, you know, you you like you mentioned they have kind of an experience going back on uh Garrison Rojas, he's a president of Minnesota Timberwolves. He worked with Finch when they both were part of Houston's D-League team back in 2010. So they have that connection, which, okay, maybe he knows how he works. Maybe he knows the style of play, but why not give somebody a chance? Why not take the time to go out and interview some of these arguably more qualified candidates and just see, you know, it's, it's not a great PR move, a great PR look for this team. But at the same time, you look and Rojas himself, he's the only uh, Latino American owner in the league. He's the only Latino American president. And he's come out, especially over the summer, and made some pretty prominent statements about wanting to see more diversity across the league. He, their own front office is one of the more diverse ones out of any of the 
uh, franchises across the league. So yes, you know, you go back and forth. It's just one of those controversial issues. You just kind of wish, all right, at least do an interview, at least give somebody else a chance, you know, don't just go right to your best friend. Don't write, don't just go right to someone who you maybe had a connection. So you want to, you know, you scratch their back. Now they got to scratch yours kind of thing. You, you just gotta, you, you got it in this time when you're coming out and saying that you want to see more diversity, that your team, your team and your organization is committed to increasing diversity, at least give a, you know, a, a coach of color, a chance to interview. I, I, I guess that's in my perspective that that would have been the right move in the situation. Yeah, I agree. I think, like you said, the camaraderie they had um, going back definitely is just symbolic. I think of like how the world works right now on a larger scale too, where you have people who've been born into positions of power, like have, you know, maybe started at elevated ranks and then worked their way up through there and then are at leadership positions. And then they'll go out and get people that they know and they're comfortable with. And this honestly makes me think about the Spurs as well too. Like we have Becky Hammond there um, on the sideline with Greg Popovich. And then you think, you wonder, yeah, she got to coach when he got ejected and he's probably going to get ejected again. I think we all know that. But when he actually does step down because it's long overdue, love Greg Popovich, but I think his time has come. And then it makes you think too, are they going to go out and look elsewhere or has she proved herself enough and they want to give her the look? Do they want to go with someone that they not only know and trust, but has proved herself in a coaching position in a game? So it makes me think about that as well. What do you think? No, I completely agree. I think Becky Hammond herself is is a beacon of hope for diversity and change in the league. You know, you see women or people of color or just people who you aren't used to seeing in those positions of powers in these major sports leagues. The more that they are, the more exposure they get, the more coverage they get, the more opportunities they're given, the better that is for the future generations. You know, the more doors that opens, the more ceilings that are shattered when they make those moves. And and I think Becky Hammond's a great example of somebody who could be potentially, I don't want to jinx it, but could be the one of the first female head coaches in the league. And I think you see how much respect all the players have given her. You see all the positive comments, the feedback she's gotten, not just from, you know, her team, not just Greg Greg Popovich himself, but from other coaches across the league who respect her, not because she's a woman, but because she's a great coach. And I think that's the same thing. You know, it, it shouldn't be, oh, he's a great black coach, or she's a great female coach. She's a great coach. He's a great coach. And I think I think we're headed in that direction. Um, I, I do wish this change, this current situation had been handled a little bit better. But again, it, it is kind of a freak situation. It did, it did happen early in a season with a team that clearly, clearly need, just needed something different to happen. But Gigi, I want to I switch gears a little bit. And there's not really an easy way to make this transition. But I want to talk about jazz. And I'm not talking about music. I'm talking about one of the most interestingly named teams in sports and one team that for me has just like gone under the radar completely, but they're in first place in the West They're They have a better record than your Lakers right now. And I just, <laughs> I was looking through some of our pick and pod episodes and we don't talk about them. We don't talk about the jazz at all. So GJ, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Utah jazz with you. You know, they have they're right now. They're 3.5 game leaders in the West they're ahead of the Lakers and the Clippers who are tied at second and third. And I, they're on an expressive winning streak, oppressive nine game winning streak until their loss to the Clippers. They've still won 20 of their last 22. So, you know, they've just come out of nowhere and they've been so dominant. Do you see them as legit title contenders in the West or is this just a regular season fluke? So Kelly, I'd like to revisit the name origins of the Utah Jazz because why, oh, why would Utah 
have a team named after such a style of music. We don't know. But they have their origins in New Orleans. And apparently jazz was given to them. The name jazz was given to them or selected because of its definition of collective improvisation. (laughs) So I think that's a beautiful symbol for what basketball is and what the jazz are doing right now. Like you said, we don't talk about them often. And I wasn't thinking that we're going to have to talk about them heading into the season. I forget what you put for your ranks in the early episodes of pick and pod or one-on-one, but I don't even know if we even talked about the jazz there, but I agree. They're making waves right now. Number one in the West, three games ahead of both LA teams. That's shocking. And I think it's something to keep in mind is that they're going to keep proving themselves and they're just going to keep getting better. And I think that we're realizing more and more the value of defense. And when you have Rudy Gobert on the floor like that, swatting balls like he did against Charlotte the other night, man, talk about collective improvisation. And I think they just have such um, a star-studded cast and a great coach as well, um, who will be coaching Team LeBron in the All-Star game. So that shows you how good he is. And I think something that's also very interesting, a storyline that like I'm – I'm extremely passionate about is that for every win they notch, they're donating some scholarship money to kids in need. And I think that's dope. And I think the players definitely know about that. And it's probably something that's keeping them motivated as well. Um, And I just think that the way they're coming together as a team is amazing. And there's so many moments too of brightness too, like um, early in February when they were playing the Pistons, their coach um, Snyder threw down the clipboard when they all held it up, threw it down. Hmm? And then they asked Mike Conley after um, about it after the game. And he said that um, the philosophy behind that was that the X's and O's won't fix their issues, but their mindset will. So they're just improving and they have good vets. They have Mike Conley, who I love as a person anyway. And I think with the star study cast that they have, I think they're just going to keep getting better. And like you said, they've put on great win streaks. Um, and I think that that's not going to stop. I don't know if that means that they're a championship contender, but it's going to be a very important thing to be a high seed in the West this year. Oh, maybe more than ever. Definitely. And you mentioned Mike Conley, and I think he's a very key piece to the success they've had so far. You know, he's someone who came in last year to join their team and he wasn't who they bargained for. You know, he, I think today he's now where they wanted him to be last year. And this year he's finally stepping up to meet those expectations, you know, that hamstring coming to last season. And when he finally did play, he wasn't himself Flash forward to this year, he's 33 years old. Like you said, he is a veteran. He's averaging 16 points and 5.6 assists per game. So he's really stepped in and he's kind of giving Donovan Mitchell uh, some competition at that point guard spot, especially coming in next year when Mike Conley will be a free agent. So going to have to, it's going to lead to some interesting decisions for that front office there. But, you know, you mentioned Brudy Gobert's great on defense. And then Jordan Clarkson, who I think at this point is the, you know, understated six man of the year. And I, I think it's hard to debate against that 40 points off the bench the other day, eight of 13 shooting against the Sixers. He's just come in and lit up the floor when he comes in. He's kind of reminding me of some of the players on the Knicks second, unit, which we'll get into the second, unit, which we'll get into later, but um, he's just stepped up. And it's like you said, anytime you see a team put together these long runs, these, you know, the teams that kind of come out of nowhere, especially these lower market teams, 
it's usually because they have a story. It's usually because they have that it factor, something that you can't put on stats, something that's not tangible. It's just that that's something. And, and I think you just described that perfectly. And it, it kind of reminds me of the Rays in baseball from the past season, or, or I don't know, it's just, or the, even the Lakers last year, obviously the Lakers, I think are easily one of the best teams in the league in year in and year out, especially when they have LeBron James and AD both healthy, but you're right. The jazz just kind of have this it factor when they're playing. And maybe it's like you mentioned, maybe it's that the fact that they're playing for something a little bit more, but you know, Snyder has come in and really taken care of this team. They've done a much better job of spacing out how how many minutes their starters play with their bench. And I think it's you can see that, you know, re, rethought philosophy paying out. You know, the Jazz have outscored teams by 14 points per 100 possessions when they have just two starters in. So they've really stepped up in, in terms of depth, which I think, in my opinion, Gigi, I would still give your Lakers the upper the upper hand the advantage going to the postseason because of that depth I do think when it's hard to tell right now because if you don't have Anthony Davis you're missing such a big part of the Lakers offense but you look at that team and that's a team where at least 11 guys on their roster have played at least 15 minutes in at least 20 games that's a ridiculous amount of depth on a team who from day one and even before day one, from day negative five, we have said is going to be in the finals, is going to could has a great chance of being a repeat champion. So, Gigi, really quick, do you think your Lakers, if they get AD back, are they gonna still be in the driver's seat? Absolutely. And I'd also like to add your Jordan Clarkson, who's doing so well, maybe a six man of the year. Think about the experience he's had too. you know, playing for the Cavs with LeBron, even playing alongside Kobe. And that's your six man with that kind of experience coming to the jazz. That's an amazing thing. And I think you're right. It's just, it's extreme depth and it's a wonderful thing to see them all come together and have different strengths. And you have people stepping up that you might not have expected in the past too. Um, And I don't think that that adds up to them beating the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals or even making the Western Conference Finals when you have the Clippers too. Um, But I think it's definitely something to consider is just how well-rounded and how they're coming together too. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's always, anytime we have one of these conversations, it's always a little too early to tell. We haven't even gotten to the all-star break, but Gigi, what we have gotten to tonight will be the first night in New York in both the Barclays Center and MSG that fans will be in the building. No more cardboard cutouts, no more empty stands, no more fake crowd noise. New York City sports teams are about to welcome back fans into their arenas for the first time during the COVID-19 pandemic, albeit with restrictions. Roughly 2,000 Knicks fans will be in attendance for tonight's game against Golden State. Gigi, I had the opportunity to go see a Knicks game without fans a few weeks ago and let me tell you it was strange it felt like I was watching a high school scrimmage like I was watching something I wasn't supposed to be seeing and I even the fake crowd noise when I was there I was laughing at it I was like there's no way that these players are taking this seriously half the time there was like a two second delay from when something happened so there'd be like a boo and somebody was stolen the ball and is already running down the other court so (laughs) Uh, I think, Gigi, what kind of impact do you think, especially for two New York teams that are kind of on the up and up right now, obviously the Nets at first place in the East, but the Knicks about to be 500 and they've looked great as of late. What do you think the impact is going to be having fans in those in those arenas? 
You're right. New York sports on the up and up. I'm happy you had the experience there because what a unique experience, not only to go to the press box, but also to go during the time of Corona. You're going to be talking about that for years later on when it's back at full capacity too. It's such a good thing to have on your belt. And I'm happy you told me that too, because I couldn't even imagine because it's so curated for the people at home, you know, like you hear the cheers, you hear the booze and stuff and it just all makes sense. But yeah, I could not imagine actually being there now to be a player and being there. Let's just think about, you know, the people on the team, first of all, too, are probably being, I mean, I think they're all probably used to it by now. And, you know, they have the people that they love in the stands and they're just like locked in. Maybe they like it too. Like, um, RJ Barrett, um, said, I think earlier, maybe in December, he was like, um, loving that maybe they could just focus more and play the game. But you think about it, he's coming from Duke. He's got to love the crowd noises. You know, North Carolina gets rowdy. Come on. And I think every player loves to have the crowd there. I know you and I even just talking about like walk-up songs for softball. And it's just, it's a wonderful thing to have people in the stands that could go and like cheer along with you, cheer for you, sing that song or whatever. And even if it's just 10% of people in the garden, it's the garden. And they have a winning streak at home right now. And now that they're going to have these passionate New York fans, maybe a couple Steph Curry fans in there. I doubt there's going to be diehard warriors going to the game tonight, but I think that it's going to make maybe not a huge difference, but it's going to give a little bit, maybe a glimmer of hope um, and um, a little taste of what it was before and what it could be again. And hopefully is soon within the next year, maybe not by the end of um, the playoffs this year, but maybe starting next year, next season. And so I think that I'm excited. I think it's going to be fun. And I think it's going to keep the buzz going. And I remember you saying that the 2010s might've been the worst decade of New York sports. So hopefully we're turning that around. We got Garrett Cole on the mound for the Yankees. We've got the Nets doing well. We've got the Knicks doing well. I can't wait to tell my grandma that. <laughs> like she's going to be shocked. She loves the Knicks. And I don't think she ever thought that they would win again in her life. So hopefully they get over 500 again. Um, and then you just have fans going to the games and it's going to keep that buzz going. It's going to keep New York maybe a little bit even more alive, a little bit more connected little bit of the city that never sleeps I think you're right I think for if anyone's going to get the benefit out of this this change in in New York sports it's the fans and I've been reading stories all day of of these lifelong fans these diehard fans season ticket holders who for them going to a game having a ticket going and sitting and watching in person live means so much more to them than just watching basketball for them maybe it's a family tradition maybe you know they're going through something and this is what keeps them sane this is what keeps them grounded and i just reading some of these stories it's just heartwarming to think that like you said you know new york fans are some of the craziest and most passionate sports fans i mean I came, I'm from North Carolina and I came to New York for school and I met some of the biggest diehard sports fans of my life. And of course, they're Yankees fans, they're Nets fans, they're Mets fans, Knicks fans, Jets fans, you know, and these are fans who have been through hell and back. I mean, if you're a Knicks fan and you've been a Knicks fan your whole life, this has been... (laughs) You have gone through so much. And uh, man, I hope you wrote your college essay about what it's like to be a Knicks fan, because that has to be some of the worst adversity you've gone through. And now they're finally playing so well. I tweeted out when I was at the game. I've been hearing about how bad Knicks have been, you know, for years now. 
why are they playing so well? You know, they, they look so good. And it was so exciting to see a team finally coming together. You know, Tibbs got, he's gone in there and just changed the culture, which is exactly what New York wanted when they hired him. They wanted him to go in there and change things, set, uh, set a culture that, you know, the players could, you know, fall in love with, they could buy into. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing these young guys step up. Like I mentioned, the Knicks second unit earlier looks unstoppable. Bringing in Derek Rose now, he's back. And there's just something special. And I think it's even more special for New York fans to be able to go watch that in person because of how long they've suffered, you know, how long they've gone without watching good basketball lives. So, you know, I hope if anything, hopefully this doesn't, you know, distract Knicks players, doesn't keep them away from playing just basketball as RJ Bear mentioned, if anything, I hope it motivates them to continue what they've been doing for so long and, and not so long, but at least this year and motivates them to continue. I mean, right now that the Knicks are going to make the playoffs. I can't believe I'm saying that, but the Knicks are going to make the playoffs. And if I'm a Knicks fan and I have a chance to go watch that, go watch that in person, as if I follow this health and safety protocols, if I can get that COVID negative test, I'm going, <laughs> I'm doing what I can. And I'm going to watch that game. I know. And we'll see. Maybe Spike Lee will even be in the stands tonight. Who knows? Maybe he'll be at every game for the rest of the season. Um, Like you said, though, it's exhilarating times. I think there's just so much to look forward to with the Knicks. And I know there's some trades being discussed, but I don't think that those will actually follow through if they do keep winning. Like you said, they're going to make the playoffs. Come on. Who would have said at the beginning of the season or even last year that the Knicks would be making the playoffs? This is an amazing thing. A lot of things are changing in the world. And I think they do have, like you said, we got D Rose. You have Julius Randle too, who's playing a lot of minutes per game and is putting up good numbers, points and rebounds, 23 points, 11 rebounds. And I think that it's just going to be awesome to see them keep improving, you know, get over the 500 hump and then keep going, be a winning team, maybe even move up in the ranks past the seventh position in these. So we'll see. Well, Gigi, tomorrow morning, if everything goes according to plan, New York City could have a first place team on one side of the river and a non-losing team on the other side. And it's been eight years since that was the case. But that's going to do it for us for this episode of Pick and Pod. Gigi, always so fun doing this with you. I hope to do it much more in the future. But until then, this has been Pick and Pod, a production of WFUV.